Welcome, everyone, to the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast. I'm Nancy Anderson, and I use she, her, hers pronouns. And in this episode, we cover inclusive communications with a focus on gender identity. Right now, I'm joined by one of the architects of today's discussion, Red Havas's own Laura Grolick. Hello, Laura. Hello, and I use she, her, hers pronouns myself. Awesome. So let's dive into more what this conversation is going to be about. And looking back to March 2021, we released an episode on the topic of inclusive communications, focusing on practical steps for infusing equity, respect, and a sense of belonging into the employee and customer experiences that brands create. During that conversation, we briefly touched on how gender and identity were playing out on the larger stage of brand communications. So in this roundtable, we dig deeper into understanding how gender is approached across companies and organizations' internal and external communications. As there are more people than ever who are identifying outside of their traditional gender binary of male and female, showing this understanding is now a must for any global organization. In a global survey conducted in 2021 by Ipsos, 2% of respondents from 27 countries identified themselves as transgender, non-binary, non-conforming, gender fluid, or in another way. And in looking at how gender inclusivity affects consumer habits, nearly a third of individuals in the United States say that they have struggled when making a purchase because products are marketed towards only one gender. An equally staggering statistic shows that 64% of Americans believe that companies should play an active role in building a more inclusive society for people of all gender identities. Another half agree that gender stereotypes exist partially because of the way companies have represented gender identity in marketing and advertising. Clearly, This is an issue that goes beyond including pronouns in email signatures. My colleague, Shane Blackburn, who uses he, him, his pronouns, partnered with me on the development of this episode and joins me for a roundtable conversation along with our guests, Ari Humering, who uses she, he, they, them pronouns and is the reception and concierge manager at Havas, the IPA iList 2022 winner, and the British LGBT Award 2020 winner with Havas Pride. Then we have John Kelly, who uses he, him, his pronouns, and is the Senior Director of Editorial at Dictionary.com. And then last but not least, we have Kathy Renna, who uses she, her, hers pronouns, and is the Communications Director of the National LGBTQ Task Force, the principal of Target Q, and she specializes in public relations and crisis communications and LGBTQ issues and the media. So, shall we tune in? Let's get this roundtable conversation underway. We are delighted to have you join us, John, for a conversation on inclusive communications and gender identity. And to start us off, we would love for you to set the stage for us. So on a global scale, there is an ever-evolving view and conversation surrounding gender identity. And of course, as the Senior Director of Editorial at Dictionary.com, what we would love to know from you is 
how these evolving views and conversations are changing language and what this means for communicators. Gender is not a simple binary concept. Gender identities can be male, female, both, neither, somewhere along a spectrum, and even in flux. We have a lot of aspects of our language, however, our vocabulary, certain phrases, certain ways of communicating that do assume a binary, male or female, as you know, assigned at birth, gender identity. Because our understanding of gender has evolved, our language has to evolve with it. So our language needs to develop and is developing so many exciting, dynamic, and powerful ways to refer to people who are non-binary, to refer to gender in ways that are much more inclusive. And this means that we see a wealth of new vocabulary, and we also see new expectations around communication, and we also see changing assumptions about how we should be communicating. Let's talk about some examples here. We have new and newly prominent words that good communicators in the business community need to learn and that they need to become fluent in. This might include Latinx or Latin A. This might include new terms like demigender, pangender, gender queer. This might also include knowing the difference between gender identity and gender expression. So because gender is evolving, it's our responsibility as communicators to learn this new terminology and become fluent in them. We also know that communications expectations and best practices in speech and writing have changed as well. We need to internalize new best practices, such as using the language that people use to refer to themselves. This is what we mean when we ask people for their personal pronouns. He, them pronouns, for instance. We need to use gender-neutral language or gender-inclusive language when addressing groups. This can include greetings. Don't assume ladies and gentlemen, or don't assume, hey guys, perhaps consider hello everyone, or hey folks. We need to use gender-neutral job titles. This one may be a little bit more familiar. Not male man, but male carrier. But in so often with language, terms, gender terms become so embedded that we forget that they're gendered at all. So we have to do the work of reminding ourselves to change those kind of deeply embedded gender terms. We need to use they and their versus he or she. Anytime you're writing a memo, anytime you're sending out an email, anytime you're addressing a group of people, consider using they as a gender neutral, singular, non-binary pronoun, as opposed to defaulting to the binary of he or she. In most cases, as professional communicators, you can leave gender out of it altogether. That's not to say that gender isn't important for who we are, but gender usually doesn't pertain to somebody's skills, competence, performance. So in a lot of cases, gender is just not an issue. And they, their, them, themselves are great ready-to-use pronouns that you can do in your everyday communication from email to Slack to be gender neutral. And where we do want to bring in gender we also have to make sure that we don't conflate gender with sex and that we don't conflate gender with sexuality or romantic orientation either. So when gender does pertain to a business conversation, don't confuse 
gender with sexuality or romantic orientation. And definitely don't confuse gender with sex because gender is a much more complex dynamic concept than our historical understanding of sex. You touched a little bit on, you know, the differences between gender fluid, gender non-binary, demigender, or, you know, some of us out there who don't necessarily know what those words mean or what those differences are. Do you think that maybe you could touch a little bit on some of what those differences are? Absolutely. Because gender isn't binary, that means we have new vocabulary like demigender or pangender to give expression to different gender experiences. Demigender. Demi is based on a French prefix meaning half, and demigender is a term that is used to refer to somebody who doesn't completely identify as male or female. There might be aspects of that that they identify with, but it's not totally one or the other. Demigender is a useful term to help us express the spectrum aspects of gender. Pangender is a term with pan meaning all that can be used for somebody who identifies with all genders. And its opposite, agender, is a term with a meaning lacking or without that rejects the notion of gender altogether. They may not even identify with the very concept of gender. Sometimes the word xenogender, xeno meaning foreign, or apora gender, apora meaning away, all of this is from the Greek, is also used to do this. A term like genderqueer, gender fluid, gender flux. These are very powerful terms that are used to convey the fact that gender isn't always stable for everyone. A person might sometimes ident identify masculine of center, or MOC, or a person might identify even as agender sometimes. These new vocabulary items give us the ability, previously lacking in English, to express the diversity of experience. And if we're going to be effective communicators, it's our responsibility to, one, be a linguistic ally and learn them on your own, two, ask people how they want to be referred to, as opposed to assuming you know how they want to be referred to, and three, to become fluent in this vocabulary as a basic expectation of being a good responsible, inclusive communicator in the modern world. For the listeners out there, John, do you have any advice on how to broach asking? That is a really great question because we want to be mindful that sometimes when we ask a person about something that's very personal, uh, that it can be fraught, loaded, unwelcome. So I would first begin by doing your own homework. That's the first step of being a linguistic ally. Take some time Go to dictionary.com. We have a gender and sexuality dictionary. We've got loads of articles and resources on these challenging terms. I would always start there and equip yourself, take the work upon yourself to learn some of these terms. Then in terms of broaching that conversation, there are many different ways to do it. And I would, one, never do it when it puts a person on the spot. So if gender comes up in a Zoom meeting, or if gender comes up in a Slack thread or an email, don't put someone on the spot, even if it's well-intentioned, to make them talk about their gender there. You want to conduct that conversation at an appropriate time, usually in a non-public format. And I would just begin by sharing a little bit of yourself and taking the lead there, as opposed to making them talk about something that's personal to them. 
And that way you can facilitate a conversation where you include yourself in this as opposed to unintentionally othering a person. I want to backtrack a little bit um, to something you said about don't confuse gender identity and gender expression and see if you can go a little deeper on what the differences there are. So gender identity versus gender expression. We can identify as a gender, maybe by gender. You identify with two genders, male and female. Maybe it varies depending on um, where you're at in your life. And then you have gender expression, which is the typically tends to be how you express or show or demonstrate that gender out there in the world. Sometimes that can be closely associated with the physical trappings that are often used to stereotype gender. Clothing, historically male clothing versus female clothing. Perhaps it's also the use of cosmetics and hairstyles. Perhaps it's also how you refer to yourself as well. Some people who are bi-gender, demigender, or gender fluid might use he pronouns in some cases. They might use they pronouns in other cases. Gender identity is the internal experience of how a person understands themselves to be. It's their gender identity. Gender expression is the outward articulation of that gender and quickly gets involved with how society encodes gender. So it's a tricky one. I think that you described it really well. And um, I loved what you said earlier about being a linguistic ally. I think that that's a wonderful way of putting it. For our listeners, also the resources that you provided earlier, we will have those in the show notes so that you can access them as well uh, so that you can you know, continue your education uh, and learning more about this stuff. A few important notes to this conversation that I think can help provide uh, your listeners some context. First, many of these words we've referenced here, Latinx, agender, AMAB, FOC, Maverick, Femme, I just introduced some new ones there. It's a wealth of vocabulary. Many of these words aren't new. They're not brand new. An expression like gender identity has been documented since at least the 1960s. A term like pangender dates back to at least the 1990s. While they aren't brand new, they have become newly prominent. And that means that these words have existed in specialized groups, whether it be a minority group, whether it be an academic or medical institution, or some other specialized group. And over time, this vocabulary spreads into the mainstream. And we're at a moment where this topic is very much part of the discourse. It's very much part of our cultural values. So it's drifted into the mainstream now, and many of us might be experiencing a lot of this vocabulary for the first time. And it can feel like these words come from nowhere. It can feel like all of a sudden we wake up one day and our understanding of gender has changed. And it's important to have some patience with your confusion, have some patience with the challenge. Language is always changing because the world is always changing. And change, we know, is hard. And learning this new vocabulary can be confusing. It can be uncomfortable. It can be challenging. But it's a really great sign of progress in our society that we're having this discussion, that we are uh, learning this, these new terms and communication practices so that we can create more inclusive work environments 
Another important thing to note is that many cultures have long embraced non-binary gender concepts, and we can see this in certain vocabulary items, such as hijra in India, or fa'afayine in Samoan culture, or two-spirit in some North American indigenous communities. So in Western cultures, it may seem like now we are finally embracing this idea that gender is not binary, but this has been something that has been part of the lived experience for a lot of people uh, for a long time. The topic isn't new. The words aren't necessarily always new. But what is new is that this is a priority for business. This is a priority for society. We want to close the conversation at some point with asking you for a specific tactic of something that we each can do on a daily basis to be better at this. But I, I think we've kind of already hit on that because, like you said, you have the resources at dictionary.com. It really is now the tactic is just putting the effort in to learn the, the terms, understand the terms, understand why someone may choose to identify or express themselves in a particular way. Is that accurate? Or do you think there's a, a different tactic that we could go about on a daily basis to be a better linguistic and traditional ally? I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think that my tactic, if folks are going to leave this conversation with one thing, is use they there. That's a very practical thing that you can do right now, because that is a term that is both gender neutral, gender is not part of it, as well as gender inclusive, because it's a very prominently used non-binary pronoun. You can start by not using he or she, guys, ladies or gentlemen in your communication, and that one small change with that one small but powerful word, they, in the English language, is going to go a very long way to making sure that who you're communicating to feels included. That would be my practical tip, but go to dictionary.com, access our resources, learn the words, incorporate them into your vocabulary, do the work, and that is the, you know, the longer-term effort needed uh, to be gender-inclusive in our language. And we all make mistakes. When you meet a person who has transitioned or you meet a person who has changed their pronouns, be patient with your mistakes as long as you're being honest about your effort because we do form a lot of habits in our language. We forget that certain words that have been long used may have uh, offensive meanings or may have changed their meanings. And so you're not a bad person if you make a mistake when you try to be more inclusive in your language. It takes time. As long as the heart of your linguistic allyship is in the right place, you're, you're well on the road for being more gender inclusive in your communications. Well, John, thank you so, so much for joining our conversation. We're stepping away with some really amazing takeaways in how we can be more inclusive uh, in our language in both internal and external communications, but also just in you know our everyday as as an ally and as linguistic ally and i i absolutely love that so thank you again so much um and once again we will be uh linking those resources that you talked about in our show notes so that you can access them as well and yeah just thank you so much again john and have an amazing day thank you so much for having me and having this very important conversation that was john kelly Senior Director of Editorial at Dictionary.com. Following this insightful conversation, Shane and I sat down with Ari Humering and Kathy Renna.
We are so excited to have you both uh, join us on the podcast. Ari, welcome to the podcast again, and a huge first-time welcome to you, Kathy. We absolutely cannot wait to dive into our conversation on how we as communicators can be inclusive to all genders in our internal and our external communications. So, uh, Kathy, we would love to have you start us off. So as a communications expert and a leader in the LGBTQ plus space, we'd love to have you weigh in on what different tactics and steps brands and organizations should be taking to create communications and campaigns that are more inclusive to all gender identities. And um, this can be whether directed to both internal and external audiences. Sure. And thank you so much for having me. Um, I really appreciate it. I love having these conversations. I actually have like a 45 minute PowerPoint, which I won't bore you with on this very topic that I've done for marketing groups and, and uh, you know, travel uh, experts and, and corporations that, you know, I, I've worked with through clients like New York City Pride and others. Um, I, I, big picture, I think it's really about how you're approaching things, you know, because how you approach things is really what impacts what you end up doing. And I always say in all the years I've been doing this, decades I've been doing this, you know, it's about people being open to learning, to opening up their minds, opening up their hearts. So being curious, but respectful, being authentic, being brave, you know, and, and also making sure that you are surrounding yourself with folks in the community who are going to really help guide you because this is, you know, it's an ever evolving, ever changing, ever uh, progressing community. I and mean, we have work to do even within our own community around you know, many of the issues that we're talking about around gender. You know, as we were saying before we started recording, like I've been working with many of the young trans people we now see today, like on television, in the news, doing amazing work in the corporate world, uh, you know, participating in, um, campaigns, you know, ad campaigns for, for different, uh, for different products. And yeah, I met them when they were like five and six. So this is not like a new thing. This is something that so many of us have been working very hard to come to this point where we can have this conversation, you know, and, and I think there's also a, a lot that, that folks can do in terms of preparing for it, because the reality is that while we have made a tremendous amount of progress, you know, not everybody's come along with us. And so I think when you're talking about businesses and marketing and you know, corporate outreach to uh, all kinds of queer communities, but particularly around gender and gender diversity, you have to be ready for what can happen. Uh, you know, at work, they always jokingly call me worst case scenario Barbie, because you know, I always think of like, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, can we get, what kind of reaction will we get from the things that we do? And I think companies also need to do that just to be ready so that they're not, you know, they're not caught in a way where they then respond <sighs> insensitively. So, I mean, I, I think it's really important to, to know that the basics, you know, words matter. The language you use matters. Do your homework. Images matter. Uh, diversity of those images matter. How you react to things, like I said, matter. And relationships matter more than anything else. If you're going to, you know, take that step and want to reach out to our community, then I think it's really important that this is not just about, you know, as I always say, like, you know, waving a rainbow flag or a, a trans inclusive rainbow flag um, in June. It's about having 
partnerships and relationships with organizations and community members and markets and and having those be you know not just that one month out of the year where we tend to get more attention right but have it be year round and and more substantive and you know Kathy you talked a little bit about outreach to to the community to to the LGBTQ plus community to learn a little bit more about how how to be more inclusive to that community and to all gender identities. So for someone who maybe doesn't know or doesn't have a lot of people in their personal or professional lives who are a part of that community, how can they do some outreach and you know start to build those relationships with people in the LGBTQ plus community and you know who have different gender identities that are outside of the binary? How can people build those relationships if they're not necessarily obviously right in front of them? Well, there, there are lots of ways. I mean, I think you can start to really look to organizations that do work in these communities. I think you can also look to influencers on social media who are doing great work, um, you know, on whether it's on issues or whether it's, you know, uh, a, a group like, you know, like whether it's the Fluid Project, right? Or um, Tomboy X or a company that's very specifically targeting our community. One of the most interesting partnerships that I've seen really develop and grow is Target. Target's been doing a pride section for you know more than a few years now, and and that's a good thing. But what I've also seen them do, in, in, and I'm very happy about it, is I've seen them grow and diversify it over the years. So this year, when I went to see, you know, I always run out, you know, and sort of whenever it starts, usually before June at this point, um, to see what the pride collection looked like. It was, it was amazing to see Tomboy X, you know, selling their products, having queer owned companies being partners in this, having Fluid Project, you know, with their, all the t-shirts and the, the, the products that they sell uh, available as part of the larger collection. And then also something they did that was really extraordinary around New York City Pride was uh, they sponsor Youth Pride. And they, they always have a bunch of you know, different fun things for the young people to do. But one of the things they did was they had a display with all of the queer artists, many of whom were trans and non-binary, with the stories of the products that they contributed to the collection and why. And that to me is, you know, that's an excellent example, if not one of the best examples we have of how to do that. Um, in a way that that truly invests in the community. And you know that that took a lot of work. You know they had to find folks, you know they had to do research, they know they had to develop relationships. And so I, I feel like that's the, the way to do it is to just, you have to be, uh, ally is a verb, as I always say, you have to roll up your sleeves and, and do the work and get to know folks. And again, go back to what I said before, be willing to you know ask the questions, don't make assumptions, you know, uh, be curious but respectful, and 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 listen. I mean, that's the that's the most important thing an ally can do if they if they're just kind of starting to you know tiptoe into this market. Ari, I wanted to shift over to you for one second because something Kathy said there and something that stuck out to me was the don't wave a flag in June. It as as someone who does identify as non-binary, how easy is it for you to? recognize when a brand is genuine and when a brand is doing it for the public face? It took me a while to kind of recognize what brands do it just because everyone else is doing it, especially in, in like 
you know, in, in like during Pride Month. Um, but like over time, how I kind of see it is like, I, I'm the type of person since I started becoming more aware of like my kind of activism side towards like the LGBTQ plus community. And it's something that like I advocate um, like moving forward forever and ever is that um, I am a firm believer saying is one thing, but affirmative action is a completely different thing. And that's what goes the mile rather than just the inches. And for me, brands like, for example, um, and this is not me being biased, but um, brands like MAC Cosmetics um, is one of those brands that I know for a fact say that they do these things for the community, but also genuinely support the community. Um, and not because I'm, a, I'm, and I'm not saying that because I'm an ambassador of them, but like, it's also a case of, I've seen it kind of progressively throughout the years, how they kickstarted a campaign called Viva Glam. And the first person that they put as like the cover and like the main spokesperson for this particular campaign was RuPaul Charles, mm -hmm. which is literally the biggest queer icon in the universe. You know what I mean? And for me, as someone who was like young and like living in the Philippines where it isn't necessarily like the most progressive country in the entire world, um, me seeing that in a magazine and like on a TV commercial made me feel very empowered. And that's the type of like way that I see see and like kind of like differentiate what brands do it just because they're doing it for the sake of doing it and they're doing it because they truly believe that it is a cause and it is something that can affect change and it will help not just the people within their kind of general community but also on a wider scale mm -hmm. as you said you're an ambassador for mac so, um, so how important is it for someone who may not have growing up have seen that representation now start seeing that? Very, very, very important. And it's very, um, it's very heartwarming too. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of empowerment that comes with it because um, I grew like, you know, representation is something that, um, so here at Havas, in 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 London in the UK, um, I am also a DNI ambassador, and I said to the DNI lead um, for 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 the UK brand is that what I want my like this is going to sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but like I said to her that like what I want my legacy to be at Havas, whether it be just here in the UK or possibly globally, is that I want. My, my legacy to be all about representation and visibility because I grew up in a predominantly Catholic country and being different or being outside of the normal binary that society has kind of like imposed on all of us, it's very hard and it's kind of difficult to kind of grow past that especially if you've experienced like hardship like many people do like I personally have maybe experienced half 
of what like a normal person would have gone through in terms of like hardship in their lifetime lifetime just for being different because I feel that like I have a very good sort of somewhat familiar support and like I surround myself with people that are good to me but the way I see visibility and representation is that before it was just literally we're just the extras we're like the comedic effect to either a movie or a commercial but then seeing how the media has progressed on and having these like movies and commercials that aren't necessarily like your typical queer kind of like brand but they're choosing to go that route and show that this is how we want to expand on an industry where it's predominantly run or kind of like managed by old white men and we want to break that mold and turn it to a more inclusive kind of circle or rather like palette for everyone so that like everyone can see that like it's not just the cis white men that will have representation or like the cis white women it's basically every shape and size color will be there and there'll be someone who represents them and somebody that they can identify to and kind of going back to what i was saying like how i want my legacy to be in 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 havas is that me being the reception and concierge manager and being the front face of like the company in the UK, like here in, in our office in London, is the representation and the visibility that I want the world to see, especially if you're from the outside of the company looking in. Like if if someone from the outside of the company walking past it and they're just and they saw me, they would see that person can do it and that person is queer and if that person can do it so can I absolutely love that I I think everything <laughs> that everything that you said was was just uh was so so amazing and and so beautiful um I completely agree you know so in in this episode you know we've talked about uh different ways that the brands and organizations can be more gender inclusive. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, uh, we're all just people who are communicating with other people. And so to close, we'd love for you both to share just if there's one takeaway, one tactic that each of us can take away with us from this episode, whether we work in-house or at an agency to role model more gender inclusivity in our everyday interactions, you know, with our clients, our colleagues, our family, our friends, anybody. So Kathy, would you like to start us off with that one tactic or takeaway that we can bring with us at the close of this episode? Sure. I mean, first, I want to thank Ari for sharing their story. I mean, I think that, you know, representation is why I've been doing what I've been doing for the last 30 years, my entire life. Like, I mean, and it's, it's not everything, right? I mean, we certainly need to do all the political institutional change, but it begins with being seen. And I think that is what Ari's really talking about, whether it's Mac, who's been doing extraordinary work in, in queer communities for decades um, and pioneering that and modeling that. But uh, it is it is about being seen. And uh, that, that really, that, that gave me a little bit of goosebumps there, Ari. That was, that's awesome. Um, I mean, I, I think it goes back to what I said originally, like be open, be open your mind, open your heart, 
be willing to learn, be willing to talk to people and also be willing to listen to people. And things are changing quickly. As I, as I was saying earlier, before we started, I have a 16 year old daughter, soon to be 17, identifies as queer, has a ton of trans, non-binary queer friends. She's, she's in an art school, so she's definitely got over-representation, but that's cool. Um, you know, and she's dated trans and non-binary um, uh, classmates and friends, and they talk about these things very differently. So the folks who are in the rooms making decisions right now need to get educated because guess what's coming? You know, I work with an organization called Gender Cool, which is an extraordinary organization, youth-led of trans and non-binary young people. And their basic, their basic sort of philosophy is it's, it's not what I am, it's who I am. And that this is what's coming. This is, this, is, this is the workforce of the future. And I mean, I've been in spaces like, I've been, I went to Intel with them. <laughs> they did a trans summit and they invited all their Silicon Valley you know, colleagues, Uber, and Facebook, et cetera. And we spent you know, three hours talking about these things with them and these are teenagers. These are, these are 15, 16, 17 year olds. And they were up there with, their, with, with a parent. And again, this goes back to what Ard was saying about family support, how important that is. And we had adults who, were, who work at these companies who were trans and non-binary and they were in tears because they were, I think they finally felt like they were being seen. And the CEO of Intel was sitting in that audience and so you know that change happened after because of that work. And so that's the, the level, frankly, of, of dedication and effort that really needs to go into this as we move forward, as we see a, a complete shift in the fluid identities of so many people in our community, whether it's around gender identity or sexual orientation. And I love that. I'm not, my generation is maybe a little threatened by that. So we got some work to do in our own community, but. I love that. I, I'm excited about that. That's why I've been doing this work my whole life because I want to live in a world where people can just be themselves. And, and that translates into being seen and being able to walk in the world, whether you're going into, you know, Jared to buy an engagement ring and you actually see yourself, right? Or if you're, you know, you're walking into, you know, you want to get a, a credit card and MasterCard is willing to, uh, and has this new program, which is extraordinary for trans and non-binary folks where, you can get a credit card with your chosen name. It doesn't have to be what's on all of your identification because it does not fit with your gender identity. And you don't have to deal with all that horrible, you know, treatment at the register of, well, you know, this says Bob and you look like a Sue. Like you don't have to, you can just live your life, right? And I think that that's really, um, to me, that's the most important thing that, that brands can do to really, uh, they need to step up to really do this work and to, you know, and, and it's good for the bottom line is that at the end of the day, we are, I always say this, you know, we are, um, we're a very diverse community where, I mean, the queer community is like a microcosm of the larger culture. And that includes around issues of gender expression and gender identity, but we're very loyal and we see, we see who's doing it. You know, I buy my daughter Mac makeup products because they do the right thing. You know, and I think that that's um, something that businesses also need to keep in mind. I loved what you said about, you know, it's it's not what I am, it's who I am. And mm -hmm. and yeah, and, and making sure that that you're giving people the, the opportunity to to show that and to just live their life, like you said, um, and for brands to recognize that. Ari, of course, we would love to hear your tactic as well, um, your one takeaway for how we can be uh, more gender inclusive in um, our everyday life with our colleagues to, to everyone that we meet. 
Mine is to continue off of what Catherine said about it's not it, it's not what I'm at, it's not what I am it's like who I am kind of thing and I think that it's really important for brands and companies to not be afraid of judgment um, when it comes to their work and how the general public would perceive what they put out in the universe. Because um, I sh like there was one I, I wrote an article and then about like allyship and there was one thing that I I, I wrote and I remember uh, writing it and it goes something like um, what I'm capable of doing is not based on what my gender is and what bathroom I'm going to. Um, it's the work that I produce is not sort of, it's not leveled to what my preference in terms of like, you know, sexual partner would be. It's basically, it's the work and the effort that I provide. And it doesn't matter what gender I am. If it's good work, it's something that you need to make sure as someone who's like a company and an employer that you tap into don't be don't be afraid of like other companies judging you for saying well it it was work done by a woman it was work done by um it was work done by a queer person or like a gay person or a lesbian person like that is to me an absolute nonsense it doesn't matter who they are what they are it's basically what they produce and if the work that they produce goes million miles away from what they are in their personal life that shouldn't matter and same goes for brands putting out commercials or like ad campaigns and whatnot. If you firmly believe that it's, it's, a, it's a situation where people aren't represented enough and you want to be the voice for these people that aren't being represented, go for it. Don't hold back. Don't be scared of people looking down on you or possibly like losing customers that are that don't have the same beliefs as you do. If you believe it and you believe that this is something that could affect change to the world, regardless of how tiny and minute that change would be, just go for it. Because going back to what I said, like I'm a firm believer of doing like providing affirmative action rather than just saying, because saying, saying you're an ally of one community or like, you know, you, you're for the women, but you're not actually doing anything about it other than just saying that you are, it's not really helping anyone. You have to do the work. You have to trust the people that will help you do the work and you have to get past that judgment. You have to be like what Catherine said, you have to be open-minded. You have to make sure that you know, um, you leave your bias out the door when you go through when you go through anything because we're at uh, we're at a stage now where in our society where all the younger generations are putting the older generations to shame on how open-minded they are, and even though I'm kind of like I'm not entirely young, but like you know, even though I don't, don't necessarily fit in in a newer generation now and the younger generation now, it makes me feel very envious that this wasn't the type of generation that I was in. Because, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just one of those things where like, everyone just needs to get with it, 
get on the get on the truck and just go along for the ride. So earlier we spoke with uh, John Kelly from Dictionary.com, and that was a big point we had too was about generational differences. I'm 32. Uh, I guess that makes me like tail end millennial, which I feel like my generation is getting better at this. I feel like the generation before me is really where these conversations need to reach. <laughs> and I feel like the conversation, the, the generation after me are the ones doing this incredibly well. Like the generations that are our future are seem to be in good hands. Yeah. Would you, would you both agree with that? That it is right now we really need to be having these conversations with the generation before and mine. Cause we're, we're better, but we're not, we're like the millennial generation is still not where the Gen Z and Gen Y are in these conversations. Well, I mean, my response as someone who is part of that prior generation, you know, I'm sure you couldn't tell from seeing me, but I, I will be 58. I would totally agree. I mean, that's what I have to say. Like I spend a tremendous amount of my time educating my peers and pushing my peers. And uh, I think, you know, again, like I go back to what uh, Ari was saying, like I grew up in a family where my gender expression, which was so not, you know, stereotypical, it was beyond not stereotypical. They were so supportive and I grew up feeling so affirmed and comfortable in the fact that I am very gender non-conforming in many different ways, not just the, not just the clothes, which my, my dad helped me a lot with the fashion stuff. He was like an OG metrosexual. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's about letting people just be themselves. You know, I agree that the, the current generation of young people, teens, 20s, um, and I wouldn't say they're the future. I'd say they're night right now. Go on TikTok, you yeah. know? Go on any social media. They're having conversations on social media, in person, in schools. I, sorry, I know Laura said that that was the, the wrap-up question, but if you have a second, because you both hit on something that I think is super relevant, and that is you both had supportive structures growing mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. Is it possible for a brand or a company or an organization through the use of representation, inclusive language, and genuine just caring to be obviously they'll never be family structure but to be something that that someone without that core family structure can look to for support i would say i do you know what my prime example would be is havas havas has put in the time and the effort to create the a DNI um, like a DNI sanction, right? Like, or I don't know if it's called a sanction or like basically like a kind of like a like a circle for the whole company as a global thing. And then within that, then you then treacle into having employee resource groups within individual companies and having these resource groups can be the support that a company would need or would generally have to make sure that the care that they have for whatever community that they want to be allies for is purely 
genuine and it comes out unoffensively and it comes out sort of sincere rather than people people from the outside seeing it as you're just doing it because you want to you want yourself to look good or you want your company to look good and i think that by Havas having that initiative and putting that effort in and putting that as one of the forefront um, in all the conversations, be it like part of the leadership team on a global scale and even on a local scale is to me is absolutely without a doubt an amazing thing to have. Like that's one of the reasons why I genuinely said to anyone that I've met that I can see myself being a part of this company for as long as I can possible. We absolutely love to hear that, Ari, for sure. <laughs> and again, that's not me being biased because I love the company and that I work for the company and they pay for my salary. It's genuinely the truth and how <laughs> I feel about it. I appreciate the conversation. And it just, it makes me feel really good to hear Ari talk about, you know, their experience because I feel like that's what needs to happen. You know, we need folks on the inside who have the, the willingness to do a, what is, I'm sure, not always easy work, Ari, you know, to really no. work with your peers, right? And create, you know, in the queer community, we call it chosen family in a way. And, you know, right. a lot of us, we spend more time at work with our families. And so it's really important. Well, I think that, you know, as we wrap this up, um, just want to, to let our listeners know that we've talked about a few different resources and websites and organizations that you can check out and, um, you know, become more educated uh, to, to learn about. I know, Kathy, you mentioned a few, um, and uh, those will be linked in, in our show notes. So you can absolutely, you know, check those out uh, once, the, once you finish listening to our episode. Um, and also, you know, just wanted to say thanks both so much for joining us in our conversation. Uh, we're stepping away with some amazing takeaways and how we as communicators and, you know, as people in general, um, can be more inclusive to all genders in both our internal and external communications. So thank you both so much. This has been a, a truly wonderful and um, powerful conversation. And uh, we're so glad to have had you on our podcast. So thank you um, and have an amazing day, both of you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. You can subscribe to the show using your favorite podcasting app. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. And don't forget to rate and review today's show to let us know how we're doing. We hope you'll join us again for more of the latest communications, insights, and trends from the team at Red Havas.